Welcome back. Today I'm joined by Andrew West, Managing Director and Founder of Long League Capital Partners. Long League was founded in 2014 and is a specialist long short equity manager with a core focus on Australia and Asia. Long League offer an Australian domiciled wholesale unit trust based on their existing Long League Absolute Return Fund. The Long League Absolute Return Fund was started in July 2017 and has returned 28.9% per annum since inception. Longlead have performed particularly well on a risk-adjusted basis and have produced excellent down capture ratio since inception. During negative markets, the absolute return fund provided investors with a positive return 67% of the time. Andrew, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Damon. Thanks for having me. Andrew, global demand for technology has seen Asia-packed growth stocks dominate um, market news. Uh, but I think increasingly investors are looking for opportunities outside the big end of tech. Um, what are some of the structural growth opportunities that Longlead are looking at at the moment? I think that's a good point right now because you've you've started to see a bit of underperformance from the big end of tech, particularly the crowded names uh, where you've got a lot of investor positioning and as interest rates have gone up, it's challenging some of the valuations there. Um, but there are, particularly across the Asia-Pacific investment um, universe, a large number of still very attractive structural growth opportunities. Uh, and one of the bigger areas that we've talked about a bit within there is still electric vehicles. And while it's on the sidelines of the tech industry, drawing upon many of the technologies that come out of that industry, it's a really interesting structural growth dynamic that continues to surprise people on the upside uh, as we're, we're looking forward. You only have to look last night. We had Ford Motor uh, address its plans on electric vehicles, batteries, et cetera, and it surprised everyone by committing to a target of 40% of its vehicles being electric by 2030, which is far greater than most estimates out there in the market. Many people believe most OEMs will only be about 25% fully electrified uh, by, by 2030. What that points to right there is this continuing phenomenon that analysts in the market are having to upgrade their estimates of demand for electric vehicles. And that's already happened three times in the last 12 months and is continuing. And that's unusual in tech. Quite often you get the phenomenon where initial expectations are too high and it takes longer to catch up. It's the exact opposite in what we're seeing today in electric vehicles. Now, there's many ways to look at the idea of the structural growth of electric vehicles throughout Asia Pacific. And that is the benefit of that universe because a lot of the suppliers, the largest suppliers across the various components that are required to support this demand for electric vehicles exist in the Asia market. And that's right across areas from lithium that we can talk about to electric motors that drive the vehicle uh, to the brands themselves. And, and I'm, I'd like to touch on each of those. If we start with the last one with the brand, an, an interesting phenomenon that we're seeing is that electric vehicles have far less moving parts and the companies that control the major technologies, unlike in the old days of the automotive tech uh, industry, which is the big brands themselves, the OEMs, they exist as third-party suppliers to that industry. 
And that's supporting the emergence and growth of really exciting new car brands, such as, for example, Li Auto in China, that are producing really innovative product that's capturing market share ahead of many of the traditional car companies. Then you have some of the more traditional car companies who've embraced the technology and emphasised it in their expansion plans, and they're capturing higher market share in the EV market than they are in the internal combustion engine market. And examples of that are car companies like Hyundai, surprisingly, which is doing very, very well. On the lithium side, it's an interesting phenomenon, and Australian investors know that reasonably well. The, the point to note with lithium is that within the whole electric vehicle uh, uh, um, thematic, technology risk exists and needs to be assessed because we're still early days. And whether it's battery technology that continues to shift or other aspects of the vehicle, the one thing that's always still required and is in short supply today is lithium. And there's many ways of getting exposure to that across either the Australian market or the Asia-Pacific market. But when you look longer term, there's things that need to be noted. For example, Australia is very strong supplying hard rock lithium sources. If you speak to the dominant companies in Asia, like Gangfeng Lithium, who have supply sources and have partnered with Australian manufacturers in hard rock lithium, brine, and emerging clay sources of lithium, what they tell you is that some of the highest cost sources of lithium ions will eventually be the hard rock. That means that over the medium term, you need to be very selective about what you expose yourself to. And one of the keys to getting it right is making sure that the companies that are producing lithium are vertically integrated up to their hydroxide plants. That will ensure a better market position and a better opportunity set over sort of the five years. But as we sit here today, there is no doubt that with that uh, surprising demand growth that we talked about, demand for lithium is tight and prices are rising and there's great opportunities in that area. Andrew, um, the first part of 2021 and a little bit of 2020 were dominated by the rotation to value um, in, across most global markets. Um, but how has this affected the Asia-Pac market? Uh, Asia is commonly known as a market to invest in for growth, but that actually is really a dynamic about GDP. It's about the fact that the economies themselves are growing and it hides the fact it's a market rich in value as well. And what you're simply seeing is it's a very large universe. There's a lot of attractive value exposures. If we roll back to about August, September last year, this is when Longlead identified that the likelihood over the next six to 12 months of inflation higher rates was going to support a more value tilt to a portfolio. And we started looking for the latter stage rebound companies, the late cycle companies that would benefit through 2021 as economies 
at a later stage rebounded from the pandemic. And there's a large number of industries that are particularly attractive from that perspective right now in Asia. One we would call out is the telecom industry, which a lot of investors have avoided and not liked because of its performance over the prior three years. But that is changing right now. And this highlights the long lead process. Long lead focuses in when we get signals from companies that there is fundamental change in their operating environment. If we speak to telecom companies across Korea, China, Australia, Taiwan, etc., right now, they're all saying the same thing. And that is that 5G handset adoption has risen to a critical threshold. And 5G network rollout has uh, moved alongside that to the extent that you're finally seeing sustainable ARPU growth coming through most of the regional telecom companies. Now, this is at a point where they've been able to cut their costs and that additional revenues from the higher price 5G plans is coming through to the bottom line. So there's companies like SK Telecom in Korea that we like that is experiencing accelerating earnings growth, will move into more than double-digit earnings growth by the end of this year, driven by this aspect of the 5G demand. So that's particularly interesting. There's other companies, Australian investors know Telstra very well. You will see that if you peel apart the declining NBN proceeds inside the core of Telstra as we move through this year is some very surprising earnings growth starting to come out from that same thing. And so there's a lot of value as well as earnings growth coming through the, the, the telecom space. But there's other industries as well that are very particular to Asia. One of them, for instance, is the shipbuilding industry, which is worth calling out. Um, shipbuilding is not something many investors have talked about for virtually a decade because the industry pre-GFC, we're talking pre-2008, moved into oversupply and in the preceding 10 plus years, there's been little need for new container ship growth. The interesting aspect, everyone got themselves exposed to e-commerce plays during 2020, during the pandemic, because you had multiple years of e-commerce penetration growth in a single year. The, the other aspects that are coming out of that is that all those products that are being bought online need to be moved from manufacturer to end consumer, a lot of it on water, and there is a shortage of container ships in the world. Container freight rates have, um, have increased materially. Container shipping build prices have increased materially. And this is the first large-scale upcycle we've seen in shipbuilding for many, many years. The reason that resonates to value is because of the preceding uh, 10 years where it's been a very slow market, these companies, there's some in Singapore, Korea, et cetera, are at very low PEs and have now been able to book orders equal already to nearly their best years ever in history with the new order, uh, container ship orders coming through. That looks to two to three years of earnings growth coming through and the likelihood of re-rates in those companies. So that's just another aspect that's particularly interesting. Um, the, the final area that everyone's very aware of is just thinking about 
the rebound in travel that's also going to occur later in this year as the vaccine rollout uh, takes effect. Now, some countries, and Australia is perhaps one of them, have been a bit slower than originally anticipated in vaccine rollout, but it's catching up very quickly. And what we're already seeing in many countries in Asia is a rebound in travel demand, and that will only strengthen through the remainder of this year. So there are exposures within Singapore, for example, to aviation jet fuel uh, companies that control the distribution of jet fuel. The investors can appreciate will obviously grow very strongly as particularly domestic travel rebounds and international travel thereafter. And those companies, you know, one in particular that we look at is on uh, single digit, low single digit X cash PEs waiting for this rebound to occur. So a lot of very attractive value exposures. Andrew, um, uh, that's um, been very insightful. Thanks very much for joining us today. Uh, appreciate your time and good luck for the rest of 2021. Thanks, Damon.